1: Amy Meyerson is the best-selling author of The Bookshop of Yesterdays, which will be translated into 11 languages, someday reaching 142, which is the magic number, right? <laughs> she has been published in numerous literary magazines and teaches in the writing department at the University of Southern California, where she completed her graduate work in creative writing. Originally from Philadelphia, she currently lives in Los Angeles. Her new novel, The Imperfects, will be published in May 2020, and she'll be having an event here at Skylight, so we'll see you back. All right. April Davila received her undergraduate degree from Scripps College before going on to study writing at USC. She was an artist in residence at the Dorland Mountain Arts Colony in 2017 and attended the Squaw Valley Community of Writers in 2018. In 2019, her short story, Ultra, was nominated for a Pushcart Prize. A fourth-generation Californian, she lives in La Cañada, Ridge, with her husband and two children. She is a practicing Buddhist, half-hearted gardener, and occasional runner. 142 Ostriches is her first novel. Please give a warm skylight welcome to April Davila and Amy Myerson. <laughs>
2: We probably don't even need the microphones. Yeah, but, but no, it's <laughs> it's
0: good to have some practice. Okay, okay. Um, I, I don't know how often you've spoken into microphones. They, I find them so weird still. It's just the echoing, so yeah. it's good to practice Okay, with I will go with it.
2: <laughs> well,
0: so I was hoping that April would start by reading us a passage just to get us into the mood and atmosphere of the novel. And All then, right. Uh, I'll ask some questions, and then hopefully you guys will ask some questions too.
2: Yeah, okay, so I'm going to start off with... Um, of a, f- a short segment from the beginning that frames the story <clears throat> um the only thing you need to know is that grandma helen has just passed away and that Tallulah, her granddaughter who has been raised on the ostrich ranch with her doesn't believe that it was an accident she thinks that grandma helen intentionally steered into oncoming traffic so that is where we're picking up here Let me make sure i'm in the right place yes I pushed through the front door and sank onto the steps overlooking the rolling, expanse of desert. The hot, dry air outside burned my throat and seared my lips. In the corral, the ostriches strolled past one another, their long, meaty legs unfolding with each graceful stride. Grandma Helen had convinced me after I graduated from Victorville High not to go off to college like my friends. She even gave me a small raise for my work on the ranch, and at first I gloated about making money while my friends all took on debt. But as time went by and I saw online that they were making their way in the world while I continued to do the same shit I'd done for years, I got antsy. I applied for a job with the Forest Service but didn't say anything about it to Grandma Helen, not until they asked me to come in for an interview. When I did break the news, she dropped her fork mid-meal and left the room. We didn't even argue. I cleaned her plate along with mine and reminded myself that I'd known she'd be upset. It would pass. Her objections ticked up a notch after I passed the physical exam for the job. She stubbornly insisted that she needed me on the ranch. When I argued she could hire someone to do my job, and for less, she grew sullen, hardly speaking to me for days. It wasn't until my final acceptance letter arrived, telling me I'd been temporarily assigned to a fire prevention hand crew in Montana, that her anger boiled to the surface, and we argued about it. She'd wanted me to stay, and when I said no, she put everything in my hands and bailed, knowing I was the only one who could run the ranch in her absence. It was a dirty trick. Back inside the house, I dragged Grandma Helen's address book across the table and flipped to J. The first entry was for Joe Jarrett of the J.J. Ostrich Operation out of Yuma. Joe Jarrett had been salivating over our ranch for decades. Every few years, he sent a purchase offer that Grandma Helen rejected without even reading. I dialed Joe Jarrett's number. Helen Jones, he said when he answered, apparently reading off his caller ID. His voice came through with such force that I recoiled from the receiver, a tickle boring deep inside my ear, No, I said, bringing the phone closer so I could speak. It's her granddaughter, Tallulah. We'd never met. I felt cold, but my palm was sweating against the receiver. Are you still interested in buying our ranch? I was taking that job in Montana. So that kind of gives a sense of the story. Yeah. Um, So...
0: Obviously, we're going to talk about ostriches. Yeah. But uh, I w- I wanted to start, um, and even in that, you get a little glimpse of it. One of the things that really struck me about this novel when I read it was the way that you evoked the land and specifically the desert. So uh, Tallulah, I was wondering if you could talk a little bit about both uh, Tallulah's connection to the land, uh, the main character, and then also what your connection to the desert is.
2: Yeah, so I think... Well, her connection is that her grandmother came and basically swiped her away from her mother's house. Her mother's doing a terrible job of raising her, and um, her grandmother shows up one day on the doorstep and says, taking the girl, you, know, you can come to if you want, but you're doing a terrible job speaking to the mother. Um, and... The one bit of the story, so when I first started writing, it was loosely based on my mom's experiences growing up on a, on a dairy farm, um, and over the years, pretty much everything that was true has fallen away. These are all fictional characters at this point, but that one scene is actually true to life. That actually happened. My mother's grandfather showed up on the doorstep of the house and said to my grandmother, my mom's mom, you're doing a terrible job taking the kids. You can come to if you want. That's like a quote, and so... That one line is actually the only thing in the book that remains from the true story. Uh, So Tallulah's connection to it is that her grandmother rescued her from her mother's house. Not that she knew she needed rescuing, but that's how it came out. And then my connection is actually that I went to Scripps College and started going to desert parties and just fell in love with the desert, (laughs) Um, would have so much fun out there that I decided I needed to be an ecology major so that I would have more reasons to go out there. So then I... I got deeper into the desert actually studying the ecology and I did some research out there for my thesis project and I just love the desert. It's beautiful. I always think of you as a desert
0: girl even though I don't really know what that means. (laughs) But um,
2: it's it's always
0: seemed to be a a part of your identity. So um, it's great that you were able to set the book there. I guess one question I had not knowing a ton about ostriches was
2: ostrich farms don't have to be in the desert though. They don't have to be. They do have to be... Fairly dry. Like there was mm-hmm. one in Pasadena. There's one in Santa Barbara. Um, you, you wouldn't. You couldn't have one in like Seattle.
0: Okay. They, so they don't the wet do is well. Bad.
2: Yeah. Okay. They're good, they're good made for know. dry climates. But it doesn't have to be desert per se. Got it. Yeah. Um,
0: well, I do want to talk about ashes, but I wanted to ask you first. So that's interesting what you said about how it was your grandfather who went to get your mother, because if I'm remembering correctly, in early drafts it was Grandpa. Hank. It was not Grandma Helen. And so, well, just really quickly, uh, and also Erin, who's here today, we were on a writers group for a while, so yes. I got to see a lot of drafts of, of April's books. I wanted, since I know there's a lot of writers here, to talk about
2: kind of the evolution of it. The er- early, yeah. early versions. Yeah. Um, but so right, it was. It was Grandpa Hank. Yeah. Yeah. And I think that probably was because when I started, it was so much more about my mom's story. Mm-hmm. And my mom's story really is she was like the only girl. Like it was her grandpa. Her uncles made her life hell. Like, I really, like, that was how I had started off the story was I wanted to tell her, like, perseverance through just a really rough childhood. Mm-hmm. But then my own growing up had almost no men. I mean, my dad wasn't around. Even my grandfather passed away. I didn't have brothers. I didn't have male cousins. It was, I mean, even my friends' dads weren't around. Like, there just were no men in my growing up. So as I started to write the story... The characters got more and more fictional, but the kind of heart of the story got more personal. And so slowly all the male characters became women. Like <laughs> Uncle Chris became Aunt Christine. Grandpa Hank became yeah. Grandma Helen. Um, yeah, it used to be all men, and now there's just two uh, two or three that are kind of peripheral to the story.
0: Yeah, well, it seems that in some ways,
2: ostriches are sort of matriarchal too. They definitely have a really... Um, the men help care for the young, which is really unusual, particularly for birds. Mm-hmm. Um, but that's why uh, the males have the darker feathers, because they sit on the nest at night, so they kind of blend in. And then the women have the, or the women, the, <laughs> the female <laughs> ostriches have dusty colored feathers, so during the day they sit on the eggs and hide them from potential predators. So it's pretty, pretty so even. it's pretty shared, okay. Yeah. So
0: then, um, why the choice, I mean, beyond your own, why the choice to, To combine those two stories the story of ostriches and this very what became this very maternal and matriarchal story
2: yeah so i wanted to tell my mom's story but i didn't want to write a dairy farm because i don't know anything about a dairy farm and i figured a dairy farm enough people would know if i got it wrong that (laughs) i didn't want to go there Uh, so i asked my mom like is there any chance there'd be a dairy farm in the desert i was just trying to figure out what i wanted to do because i knew i wanted to set it in the desert she said absolutely there's no way you would put a dairy farm in the desert So I was Googling, and I came across this, um, it was called the O.K. Corral Ostrich Ranch in the Mojave, and it was 60 miles from my front door. Like, I could get in my car and be there in an hour, and the guy who ran it was, I think he was a little bit lonely, just this really nice guy. We'd walk around for hours, and he'd tell me all these stories. A lot of the plot points, the turning points in the story, come directly from things that he told me about. If you've read it, ask me, but I don't want to spoil any of the turning points, so Mm -hmm. I'll I'll save that one. Um,
0: Yeah, so... uh, in addition
2: to, to going to his asher's farm, was there other research that you did? Oh, this? I would do most of my research online. Okay. Yeah, I did a lot of research just at home in my office. And then when I hit the wall of, no, but exactly how do you do this thing? Mm-hmm. I would write out all the questions over a few months of research. And then I would go out and kind of spend the day on the ranch with him and, uh, and learn all the little things. Yeah. So what were a few things
0: that you wanted to put in the book
2: but didn't make it that you oh. learned? Uh, I don't know. I don't think this one made it in the book, but I think it's really interesting that they they can't kick you if you pull their beaks down. (laughs) So, like, I think... I think I mentioned her wrangling them, but I don't really go into detail about how that's, that's like one of the main details. It must you be have hard to, pull to, their heads down. to get their beak, though. It's hard to get the beak, but their necks aren't terribly strong. So once you've got it, you can kind of gently pull, because they kick forward like this, like knees go back, but they kick forward. And they've got these scary claws, like really <laughs> big claws on their toes. Oh, Johnny Cash was almost killed by an ostrich. Ah. That <laughs> did not make kicked? it in the story. Yeah, or he was, I guess he was rehabbing from one of his drug stints or something, <laughs> but he was out at some nature park and the bird like came at him and they're scary when they charge they like they fluff their feathers like this and they run at you and they jump and then they and they gut you like that and they cut him and he was wearing a big old silver belt buckle or he would have just been killed right then and there he was by himself he never would have made it back to the house
0: there might be an essay in that
2: (laughs) Um, so did you actually ever Grab the ostrich. No, I didn't. I watched it a lot, but they (laughs) scare me, man. They're really big. So yeah, no, I didn't mess with them. Um, Well, I warned
0: April that because I have an ostrich story and I don't get to tell it very often that I was (laughs) that I would tell it when um, my dad's a lawyer. And in the 90s, He had a client who owned an ostrich farm. I don't remember exactly what the case was for, Um, but he couldn't pay his legal bill, so instead we got a quarter of an ostrich. Um, Not to... It, you know 25% of an ostrich I should say but I always pictured it as a kid as like the back leg um, and so it was a female ostrich on a farm that I think is similar to Tallulah's and every month we would get it her name was Olivia and every month we would get this video of Olivia getting older and that was the era when ostrich was sort of advertised as the next next thing to like the be- better than red meat it was going to oh, yeah. be this huge in the 80s it was like a big thing yeah but yeah.
2: then it never really took off it's kind of gamey is that why? Yeah. Like, it's really high protein and, and low fat, but it just isn't, It it's not beef. Like, it doesn't have that same, like, satisfying taste. Yeah. yeah. So you, have you eaten it? I guess that's I, kind of I a morbid question to ask. I had a bite. I wasn't a huge fan. Yeah. And also, when I went out to visit the farm, um, one of the... Okay, so <laughs> uh, an early on plot point is that she is deciding to sell the ranch. She doesn't want to stay. And the birds stop laying eggs, which throws a wrench into the whole plan to sell the farm. Um, and that is one of the plot points I took from visiting because he, um, this guy Doug, he, his, the first time I visited the birds, he would just gotten them to start laying again because uh, there had been arsenic in the water from the cement plant down the road. And he had to go like all Aaron Brockovich on them and like get the water cleaned up, and then the birds started laying eggs again. So he tells me the story, and he's like, and I got some meat. You want some meat? I'm like, uh, <laughs> do I want the arsenic burger? Not so much. Yeah. I bought a little bit to be polite, but I tried a bite, and I didn't let the kids eat any. I was yeah. like, no, it's not for That's you. Ask, yeah.
0: <laughs> so is there in the um, ostrich farming sort of a divide, like there is in the novel, between those who uh, raise birds to be sent to kill and those who raise them for... There eggs. seem to be, yeah. yeah.
2: In fact, like, if you go to the ostrich farm in Santa Barbara, they don't, they do sell the eggs, but their main business is tourism, and it's actually spectacular. If you ever have the chance to go to the Santa Barbara, it's called the Ostrich Land USA, and they, I mean, you can, like, put your face through the hole, and, like, so it looks like you're riding an ostrich, and they, um, they have a fence, but the ostrich is pretty much roam free, and then they come up because they know they get treats, and then they get ran like I took the kids out there a couple weeks ago to to get an egg um and the the birds were Randy. They were Yeah. <laughs> I think it was like mating season or something. There were a lot of questions <laughs> from your children from the children. God. It. Interesting. <laughs> but uh, it's fun if you ever get a chance. Yeah. So mm-hmm. what
0: is this uh what is the state of the industry as Tulula finds it in the book?
2: Yes. Yeah, so I don't think the industry changes much. There was, like, a big boom in the 80s, and then it kind of leveled out to a, it's. It's a novelty item. Like, in Vegas, they'll have um, ostrich omelets, or they'll have ostrich meat for the buffets. You know, they do the big, giant buffets. But it, it's more of a novelty thing mm-hmm. than anything at this point. So don't go into the market too much in the book. So I didn't research it too intensely. Mm-hmm. Um, and so... Wait. I have to look at my cheat sheet for a second. Um, uh,
0: in terms of, well, so let's talk a little bit, because I'm sure everybody's interested. I know I'm interested, even though i got a, a sort of side seat to it. Uh, talk about how this book evolved over time. We, we yeah. mentioned a little bit um, that it became more matriarchal, but uh, you worked on this for a, a few, few years. years. A long time. Um, so what... What changes did you make that taught you about writing? What things were you sad to see go? How has this book evolved?
2: Yeah. So um, it was my thesis project for MBW had to turn in a hundred. What was it? A hundred pages. It was something like something that. Like that. Um, and I didn't really know what the story was. So I just started writing. Uh, and so it, I would get to the end of the draft and then I would decide, oh no, it needs to be more like that. And I would go back to the beginning and I'd rewrite it in that direction and then I'd change my mind and come in and write it. And I just kept rewriting it. And there were so many. Like, there was a version where she was an outlaw. Like, she robbed a bank. There was a version <laughs> where it became a road trip story. Like, she, she forced into selling the farm so she, like, kidnaps two of the birds and, like, hits the road. <laughs> um, there was a version where one of the characters, who is still in the book now, was a mute monk. I remember that. Yeah, that was a weird version Oh, my favorite that I stuck with for a long time. Um, She saves the farm by throwing a rave, um, which is basically hosted by this raver girl that she finds like half dead in the desert. She, like, nurses her back to health, and then they, like, throw a party. You remember yeah. that one? They throw a party to raise money to save the ranch, and it was, like, an 80s movie. It
0: was... Yeah, but that, I mean, I remember that character. I can't I remember that name, character, yeah. which is
2: why I think she hung in for so long, because... Yeah. And I think she actually kind of became the mom. Like, I think the mom has a lot of those characteristics that I loved about that character. I think so, too. When...
0: I'm not giving anything away here, but when the mom returns to the ranch she
2: or to the farm she did seem a lot like the sunday daggers. sunday good right. old sunday sunday <sighs> i had like 80 pages of sunday that i just refused to cut for like six drafts and then i finally yeah had to, to come to, like, to terms kill your <laughs> yeah um exactly.
0: so what made you decide to
2: to let her go um what did decide i i think rita williams most of you probably know rita she read it for me and gave me some really great feedback. She she said one because when she read it, it was a meat farm, and she said, "You're gonna have a lot of trouble, like building sympathy for a character who is like sending birds to slaughter. That's just a tough one." Because she grew up on a farm in Denver, mm-hmm. and she's like, "This, you know, you might consider changing that," which I thought was a really good note. That's
0: interesting. I don't remember when it was a meat farm. Yeah, why was, why for was for that your? Time. Why did it start as a meat farm?
2: Because I didn't realize that there was a different version like everything all the farms that I'd researched were just meat and leather I mean that's if you want to make money at it or a lot of money I should say that's the way you would go Um, she also had the advice of she said you're missing the first 100 pages because the story used to start for a long time from when I turned it in for my thesis project it started at what is now like page 100 so Rita was like absolutely right She's like, you have to tell all the stuff that gets you up to this point. So, I don't know, if you ever need a good reader, Rita's yeah. your girl. She's, she gave me some great advice. Yeah. yeah.
0: So, um, I know you've been working on a new project yeah. as well. So, what have you
2: taken from what you've learned from this book? Oh, outlining. Um, <laughs> outlining, okay. <laughs> yeah, I promised to myself I would never, ever write another book without outlining because it just took me so long to find the story. I didn't know mm-hmm. what it was supposed to be or what I wanted it to be. So, I just wrote in circles and then Whenever, I remember one time sitting at the coffee shop in Silver Lake and opening my laptop and like literally feeling like I was going to throw up looking at it and be like, I can't work on this anymore. And so I started when I needed a break from Tallulah working on novel number two, but I I started working in an outline. So Mm -hmm. I wrote like this two-page outline, which became a six-page outline. And then I would put away and work on Tallulah some more. And then it became a 20-page outline. So by the time I actually finished this book, and started writing novel number two. I had a 60-page outline, and I basically was just, like, writing the scenes that were already in my head. Mm-hmm. And it was so much easier. Yeah. Yeah. And it actually had a story. It went from <laughs> A to B. And, yeah. yeah.
0: Well, I wonder if it's, it was – there wasn't as much uh, – because you were still working on this one, there wasn't as much pressure on that, which enabled That's it to, to be a little, a yeah. little bit easier. Um, yeah. So if you – if there was one thing you wanted readers to take away from this mm. novel – what would it be?
2: Oh, that's a good question um, i i I don't know that is a good question. I think learning to be happy where you are is kind of where I ended up with it mm-hmm. of of I don't know for a long time in my life, I was always kind of moving on to the next thing, always wanting to whatever was next, and not really appreciating where I was and that's um I don't know, kind of coming to that with this story through Tallulah yeah or, yeah yeah that lesson of um don't always get what you want you get what you need Rolling yeah. Stones <laughs> yeah
0: so was that something that was always in the book or is that something
2: that you learned through no. your circles I writing, think that was like thing. the story o- like matured with me yeah I, d- I had two kids while I was writing this and um, I think becoming a parent kind of I mean you have to grow up to a certain extent, you have to. Like they turned me into a morning person, which was a rough transition. <laughs> it was very rough. And I always have thought of you as a morning person. Which is so funny. Because <laughs> I was never a morning person until the kids came along. Um and they just would not let me sleep. So Yeah. Yeah.
0: You learn, you grow, you change. Well so did any of being a mom as I say like this book really feels very matriarchal and maternal
2: yeah. to me. So did any of that Make it onto the page? Well, part of being a mom really um, reflected my mom's mothering. And then when I look at my mom's mom, I mean, my mom had such a shitty model (laughs) that it's a miracle she did as good a job as she did. But there's still a lot of places where my mom fell flat, too. And then being able to look at that a little more objectively and be like, okay, here's the here are the things I want to change. And I'm sure when my daughter's you know forty something, she'll be like, oh, my mom tried, but you know here are the <laughs> things I'm gonna change. It seems like the cycle, of life, yeah. right, yeah, yeah. Um, How
0: are we doing on time? Good. Okay. All right. Well, I I wanted to do I want to. I like to like open it up pretty early to questions so that you can ask, and then we can talk some more. But before that, I wanted to do a lightning round, which I borrowed Ugh. from a friend that I've never done before. But um, So you you have to answer quickly, but your okay. answers don't have to be short. Okay. But we'll start off with a few that are a little easier. Okay. Um, so uh,
2: longhand or keyboard? Oh, lately longhand. Yeah. Yeah. That's a new thing, but. Oh, yeah. Why the change? Uh, I decided to start Novel 3 as nano NaNoWriMo. And I just I'd never tried it longhand, and I just I I wrote fifty thousand words, just like on the. No- it was fun. Did your hand get really tired? It really <laughs> tired. <laughs> <laughs> it would cramp up, and I felt like such a writer, being like, oh my hands cramping. Really? I don't know. And you it had, was like ink here. Yeah, something. yeah. Are you supposed to do nano no, by No, you don't have to. I don't okay. know what possessed me, but I um I don't know. A few writers that I admire have talked about like um God, what is her name um. Arcadia, what is, she wrote Florida, Lauren Groff, Lauren Groff, she talks about writing her first drafts longhand, and I'm like, I never, that sounds interesting, and the nice thing is that no one will ever read it, and by the time anyone reads it, I will have typed it up, and it'll be a second draft, Mm -hmm. so my hope is it'll like, kind of speed along the process a little bit. Just know. by slowing down. And slowing, slowing down. down. And you really cannot edit because I wouldn't skip lines. I would write every line. And you can occasionally put a little arrow or you can add a little, oh, don't forget to note this. But like, you really can't go back and edit because I always thought I didn't edit. But when I started writing longhand, I realized I actually do edit quite a bit. Yeah. Jennifer yeah. Egan talks about that too yeah. um, with her with, uh, Manhattan
0: Beach. I think she wrote most of it or the whole thing. Interesting. Longhand. So how would you say your writing has changed – because the first draft, anyway, because of that. I mean, I know you said moving
2: forward, but do you find that your the sentences are being composed differently, or um, I think just taking the pressure off, I was enjoying it more. Uh, just yeah. kind of, and because I didn't expect anything of those pages. I mean, nano NaNoWriMo you know, it's going to be crappy pages. They're just for writing, so it was just for fun. Yeah, yeah, which was right. new. Has anyone else here done nano Oh, I at the end of the day, I would um, I would actually count one page and then just kind of average them out. So it's you know rough, but I did round down to try to be fair. 50, <laughs> What's that? You 50, I got fifty thousand. I mean, in theory. Yeah, yeah. And then it becomes twenty thousand or something. Yeah, it'll. Later. Yeah. yeah, I'm sure it'll be much shorter by the time it's all revised. Yeah. yeah. Okay. What's your favorite word or a favorite word? Sequoia. Sequoia. I'm really into words that have all five vowels. Are there a lot? (laughs) There are a lot of them. Uh, Like dialogue is one. I'm going to draw a blank on That sounds like a Jeopardy category. It does, doesn't it? Yeah. Yeah, I'm fascinated by And sequoia is a really interesting word because uh, the sequoia tree was named after uh, a Native American from the South who never saw a sequoia tree. But Mm. he um, developed... I guess he was the first to write down, I think he was Cherokee, I may be getting that wrong, Um, but he was the first to actually put his native tongue into, like, a written language, and so someone here on the West Coast, I'm forgetting who, named the tree after him as, like, an homage, but he, like, never, never even saw one.
0: So does that come to play in your new book? No, but I did
2: learn that while I was researching Uh, the new book. yeah. Yeah,
0: if... April has, on her website, she has lots of fun facts about California that she's learned from, from researching yeah.
2: her new novel. All those like uh, facts that are really interesting, but would never work in fiction.
0: Like, it's good to have a place for those, because yeah. then you feel like you're using them, yeah. and you're not
2: forcing them into the, into the book. Yeah,
0: because they're no good that way. Yeah. Um, so what about least favorite word? Mm, or one Least of your favorite word. Or maybe your least favorite with all the vowels. <laughs>
2: <laughs> no, they're all good with all the vowels. Okay. Uh, least favorite word. I don't know. I kind of go around on different words. There was one just the other day. It was I. Say? I can't remember. Let's come back to it. It'll come to okay. me. <laughs> okay.
0: Okay. Um, your favorite book from childhood.
2: Uh, Panda cake. I don't it's really panda obscure cake. um mama's making a panda cake it, I don't even know like it's not one of the classics but it my sister learned to read she was a year younger than me and um that was the book that she learned to read with and she would read it out loud like so many times that we memorized it and it's all about like mama's making a panda cake and it lists all the things that she'll need and then the little cubs go out and they they get the berries and they get the nuts and then I don't know fond memories yeah so did, did you read it to your kids as well oh yeah and did they like it as much as you Not did? Not as much. <laughs> They're like, eh.
0: That's also kind of the cycle of life, probably, yeah. right? <laughs> um, what
2: is a book you wish that you had written? House of the Spirits. Okay. How come? I mean, I love that book. Oh, but. I just the the magic realism, but also like uh, the family story, the Latino side of it. My husband's from Ecuador, so I uh, I, I kind of like fell in love in Spanish. My Spanish isn't great, but we would, like, get together with this whole Ecuadorian crowd and dance all night and struggle to have conversations. And the more tequila you have, the better your Spanish gets. (laughs) So that was, I don't know, something about the the Spanish-ness of her stories. And then the fact that she actually lives in the Bay Area now, I Mm -hmm. think, or at least she did for a while. I know she lives in the U.S. Yeah, I think so. So she had this whole, like, South America to Bay Area thing that kind of echoed my husband's journey and... Um, and I, am a big fan of magic realism, but on the more realism side, like stories that kind of drop magical things in as if they're nothing and don't even really address them. They're just like, yep, that's what happened.
0: So is that, I, I want to keep with these, but, um, is that your, your second book yeah.
2: I know is sort of a more sweeping book about California.
0: Yeah. Does that have magical elements
2: It in does. it? It does. It's a, it's an epic story. It spans 300 years and it follows one couple from the 1700s to modern day, and they are under a curse or spell, depending on how you look at it, where they won't age or get sick or get injured until they have children, mm-hmm. and so the story's very much about their adventures along the way, but it's kind of a big metaphor about how, at least for me, I didn't really realize I was aging until I had kids, and then all of a sudden you're like celebrating their first birthday and their second birthday and their third birthday, and you're like, but I'm not aging, like what's happening here? And so, having to kind of address my own mortality, once I became a mother, it's, it's oh, yeah, that was the idea for the story.
0: It seems like a, it's an evolution of
2: ideas, you know, with the birds and sopping laying eggs, and there's yeah. something there with birth. And, I wanted uh, more yeah. magical realism in this one. I had, a, I wrote one version where the birds like, like danced, yeah. <laughs> but it was a little too far, too far out there. Well, in the movie. In the movie, maybe. If, yeah. Yes, a choreographed something
0: would be awesome. What, what do you think you gained by writing all these drafts? I feel like we often talk about what we lost, but what, what through these drafts that you rejected do you feel like you learned that made this a better book
2: and you a better writer? I learned so much in the act of writing. I feel like this book was like how I learned to write, which just makes me feel better that it took 10 years because <laughs> I was learning the whole time. I a blog a lot about it, like the specific things, like your character needs to want something and... Um, conflict in a room and being careful with dialogue and just all those yeah it's always things. the basic stuff that takes the longest to learn yeah um, or at least to get good at like you know but then you will reread it and you're like ah oh, I didn't They did that annoying thing again yeah uh, yeah <laughs> well and sometimes it's more annoying to you than it is True. to other people
0: yeah Okay, so uh, what is a book that you love as a guilty pleasure? Twilight. Twilight. <laughs> so what do you love about Twilight? And you said it with such relish Twilight. that...
2: <laughs> um, I read it with my daughter, and I, I told her, I was like, okay, you have to understand this book. Like, this is, we're not reading quality literature here. Because <laughs> my daughter's a really big reader, um, and she, she loves fantasy and sci-fi. Um, and then every now and then I'll bribe her to read something like Steinbeck. I like could actually pay her over the summer to like read Steinbeck. <laughs> How but much does she get paid to read for Steinbeck? like five bucks a book. It's not crazy, yeah. but she's really dollar motivated. So <laughs> five dollars to read some Steinbeck seemed like a good deal. Um, but then for bedtime, we were reading Twilight. And I chose it because I wanted something that would last us a while and they're really long. I mean, those books really could have been one if she had just edited it down. <laughs> Um, and there's so many moments in it where I had to stop the book and be like, okay, if you ever have a boyfriend who tells you you're not allowed to have a friend who's a werewolf, <laughs> you need to just walk away from that boyfriend. <laughs> but um, So it's a good learning tool. Yeah, it's, for, a good uh, to learn. yeah. it's a good you know, learning tool. a subversive feminist something or other. I don't know. No, it's definitely guilted guilty pleasure. Didn't your daughter for school make an invention where you could read in the bathtub? Yes. Am I remembering correctly? Oh, yeah, I was so proud. We bought this. Like she made this like plastic dome, and she cut holes in it, and she glued um, kitchen gloves, so you could sit and you could open it up and put a book in it, and you could put your <laughs> <laughs> so you could sit in the bath and read. You yeah. can read. I know. And how did it work for turning pages? I feel the like gloves a are a little rough. thick. Yeah. yeah, I mean it definitely needed a little refining, but she got second place in the yeah. science yeah. fair. Awesome. Yeah, <laughs> I love that it was a
0: reading-based one in the science fair. Yeah. Um, Okay, what is a book that you sometimes pretend that you've read that you actually haven't?
2: Oh, good question. I'm a, I'm, I have no shame about not finishing books. I really, um, I, I, I'm a big believer in the fact that not every book works for everybody. I did pretend for a while that I'd read Infinite Jest. I think everybody <laughs> has pretended for a while. I never did finish it. I, I don't mind coming clean on that one. Um, I never.
0: Well, I've I've read his short stories, but I've never even started stories. *Infinite Jest*.
2: Yeah, I started it twice, so. and I stopped both times in the same scene. I was like, "Oh God!" <laughs> I won't spoil it in case you ever want to be disgusted. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> um,
0: so, if you could travel back in
2: time, what period would you go to, and why? California Gold Rush. Okay, I'm fast fascin- I think California history is so fascinating. And just the absurd explosion of people that happened in the state, particularly the northern part of the state, and the conflict with the Spanish and the Russians, and and then the Chinese came over with the gold. And just, I mean, talk about slamming people together, and they're all after the same thing, and they're willing to just cut each other's throats for it and completely trampling the native population. And I just think it would be a really interesting time to witness. But Do you want to really live in it or just witness it? I think I could live in it now and do pretty well. Yeah, I think you could make it. Yeah, Yeah, I've done enough research. (laughs) Yeah, because the people who did really well in the gold rush were not the people who did the mining. They were the people who sold stuff to the miners. Oh, that makes sense. So, like, there was a place place called uh, Placerville where um, the Hangtown Fry was invented. Does anyone know the Hangtown Fry? So, apparently, if you struck it rich, or the, the story goes that some guy struck it rich, and he came in, and he's like, give me the most expensive... Food you can put together, and apparently the three things that were really hard to get were eggs, bacon, and oysters. And so they made this like scramble with eggs, oysters, yeah. and bacon. I think
0: they sell that at Millie's. Do they? Oh, yeah, and yeah, I've never course. actually had it there, but I've all, it's
2: always caught my eye. I didn't know it was. A, it's a whole a, thing. A thing. Yeah, it was. It was Hangtown before it was Placerville, and uh, it was Hangtown because they, it was where they would hang people. And oh. <laughs> yeah, there was like the big tree where that was the hanging tree. And, yeah, that so that was oh. the thing you did. You would go order the Hangtown Fry and show off that you had made all this gold.
0: Yeah, I've actually I've been um, researching wine in California, and I learned today that a lot of the um, oldest vineyards actually came out of the gold rush because the Italians and the French who yeah. came here and were not successful ended up
2: um, growers. Yeah, that makes so, sense. Yeah. Fascinating. California yeah. is really interesting like that.
0: It is. It has... So you're fourth-generation Californian, yes. which means
2: your family was yeah, here. Yeah, I traced it back. My great-great-grandfather came over from Germany in the 1880s. My, I have a great-great-uncle who actually married <clears throat> the daughter of one of the survivors of the Donner Party. Like, that's like, that was the world they were living in. Wow. Like if you survived the winter, you could get married, and then you could die in childbirth. <laughs> <laughs> so it's trade-off. We actually have one cemetery where everyone in the family has been buried, like all the way from them, from great uncle Jacob to um, my grandma and my cousin. Um, and the beginning of the of the cemetery is like a man and a wife, and then a baby, and then a wife and a baby, and there'd be like it's like this long plot. And uh, some of the kids would survive, but he, you know he would marry until that wife died, and then he would, and they all died in childbirth. It was crazy. Yeah, yeah. childbirth is it's, it's a rough. Joke, sorry, it's rough. sorry, we
0: shouldn't be having <laughs> <Yeah>. this conversation. <laughs> it's much better now. <laughs> I was I was being oblivious. Um, today it's fine. There's lots of you know good drugs, drugs, yeah. doctors, sanitation. Yeah, antibiotics <laughs> <laughs> Too a lot um okay so if you could have dinner with three people dead or alive not your family who would it be
2: well Jane Goodall would be like number one can I just have her for three meals sure (laughs) I love her (laughs) um I think because I started as an undergrad in science Jane Goodall's just always been a hero of mine um I guess Isabella Yende I would love to sit down with her and um who else Maybe you Jennifer can, Egan. I like her writing they all a lot. Seem,
0: they all seem very interesting and, and yeah. charming people. Um, okay, so kind of going off of that, um, who would you say is the most influential person or one of the most influential people in your life who you're not related to?
2: Not related to.
0: Or maybe in your writing life, let's say.
2: In writing life. Well, in my um, acknowledgments, I thank my high school AP English teacher. She yeah. was really great. She was the first teacher I had who um, she said on the first day, she said, you all get an A in here if you show up and participate. And then she would give us these in-class writing assignments, like pretty challenging writing assignments. And she didn't even grade them. Like if you wrote it, you got an A. But then she would stand up in the class, in front of the class, and she would read um, the good ones, the particularly good ones, and the particularly bad ones. She never named names for any of it, but she would she would point out like what really wasn't working. And, and you'd be like, oh, that's interesting, especially if it was yours. You would be like, oh, that's interesting. Totally like blank face, trying to make <laughs> sure no one would know it was you. Uh, and then, if she read something that you liked, you knew she wasn't like bullshitting you. She really liked the work. So it
0: was it would be the same students who sometimes had the pieces that needed work as well as
2: yeah, that were the best ones. Yeah, she'd it's read nice. them both, and, and I just it, th- all the pressure of grading was off, which was just like a whole new world for me of like, what? Just learning for learning's sake, like yeah, I, I, she's coming to my reading I'm doing a reading in my hometown next week, and she's coming in. I'm so excited to see her. Yeah, okay, that's nice.
0: well, I guess I have to ask you as a final question: How did you end up with the number one
2: hundred and forty-two? I get that question a lot. I know it's, it's just—I um, mean, how it many kind there of were? I like—I don't have a good answer. I—I I mean, I did the math and I um, of how many birds you would need to sustain a farm selling the eggs, and I got kind of a range. But I didn't want to do one hundred and fifty; I was too round. Like I just. And then I said 147, but I have all these friends who went to Pomona College, and I don't know if you guys know, but they're kind of obsessed with the number 47. Mm-hmm. It's like the school number. I don't know. So I was like, do 47. Do I'm like, no. So it couldn't be 147. I don't know.
0: So I just kind of like Well, it adds up 14. to seven, which I feel like is a, Oh,
2: that's a you know, good point. Seven's a good like, number. Yeah.
0: yeah. It's a very important biblical number. Yeah. So um, great. Well, I could keep asking questions, or we could see if anyone else has any questions. The first one's always the,
2: the toughest.
0: Yes, Ariella. How
2: did you know it was time to end the book? Oh, I... It's a good question. I wrote and wrote and wrote so many drafts. And then I was actually at the Writer's Digest Novel Writing Conference. And I sat in on this... Um, I was presenting there. I was doing a, a talk on Scrivener. But I sat in on this other presentation. And the guy there... And I wish I could remember his name. I wrote it down. But he was talking about how themes and how you know what your story is really about it's the difference between this and this and he's like you have to fill in the this so you know what your story is about and I realized after it'd been like seven years working on this draft that it was the difference between this girl pulling her head out of the sand and like really honestly looking at her own life and I had this like oh my gosh it's such a metaphor with the ostrich and I like ran home and did one more draft and I was like this is it I guess like I just got really excited about I'd, I felt like I finally figured out, like, the deeper what it, it was about. The The A line was solid, but the B line just never really fell into place until this guy said something that triggered it, and then I felt like it was done. So yeah. from there, how
0: did it evolve once you were working with an agent and an editor?
2: Yeah, I so I finished – that was when I went to Dorland, and I did that final pass on it, and that was in November 2017. Then I took December off, and then in January, I I queried agents, and I got an agent pretty quickly. We did a few revisions, um, not too much, and then um, shopped it around and shopped it around and shopped it around and just kept getting rejected uh, for like six months, but like really contradictory rejections. like One reader liked the character, but not the story, and then one loved the story, but not the characters. Uh, and I asked my agent like should I rewrite and he said well if we were getting everyone was saying the same thing we'd rewrite but it sounds like it just needs to find a home so finally did um, he, my editor had me add stuff about the mom um, so I like I just kind of beefed up some of the stuff about the mom and then a little bit around the boyfriend um, but not a ton not a ton of edits yeah. not on the larger story scale I did do a lot of line edits like a lot of line edits
0: maybe it's because you really knew what it was about and that was apparent on the page. Yeah, I hope so. Yeah. Yeah. What other questions do people have? Yeah. What
2: was the hardest part to write? The hardest part to write. Hard, I think the hardest part to write was um, finding some sympathy for my villain because the villain was based on my uncle, who I have trouble having sympathy for as well. He's kind of our family villain. In fact, I, um, he, he was actually shared a name with my uncle up until I woke up in the middle of the night like three months ago. I was like, oh, I should change his name before they print it. <laughs> and it was like right under, the, like I caught them right before they went to press with it. And they're like, why didn't you say anything? And honestly, he'd become such a fictional character that I'd kind of yeah. forgotten that he had the same name. And I don't think my uncle ever would have known, like, he's not a reader, and um, I'm not writing under my maiden name, but I just, it seemed the kind thing to. What's that? She has, yeah. Does she, like it? she does. She didn't mind at all that I totally, like, made her brother the bad guy.
0: <laughs> I remember in at MPW, um, Judith Freeman told me that, the people you write about never see themselves in your writing, and the people you don't write about always do see themselves.
2: Interesting.
0: Uh, and I've thought about that a lot, because we all borrow yeah.
2: from, from people in our lives. Well, and my mom does not see herself in the mother character at all, which I think is really funny. It's that, yeah. It's, it's <laughs> There's a lot of my mom in her. Yeah. 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 So did it, it took
1: 10
2: years to the Well, I s- finished the first draft as my thesis project in 2010, yeah. Oh, different every i mean there were definitely some rough spots i remember at one point i was working full-time my son was an infant my daughter was three and i remember like going to bed and i went to set my alarm because i I had on my watch i could set an alarm and i was like i can't do. i was like i can't do it i'm so tired and i just i really had this moment of like i give up i'm not going to do it anymore and i told my husband as we were getting to bed i was like I'm not going to get up in the morning, so if you roll over and I'm still here, just let me sleep. I, I need to sleep. And he's like, you're not, like, quitting, quitting, are you? I was like, I th-, And I was like, I think I am. I don't think I can do this anymore. And he's like, no, you can't quit. Like, he just, he was like, you have to keep trying. He's like, you can take a morning and sleep, sure, but don't, like, quit, quit. And um, thankfully, he gave me a pep talk, got me back to it. But there were definitely times that were rough like that. Um, but I think when I would get to the end of every draft – I would stick in the drawer, I'd work on the next project, or just take a break, and then when I'd come back to it, and I would read it, and I would have all these things I wanted to change about it, and that, that was motivating, of feeling like I knew where I wanted it to go, and every time I finished a draft, I was sure I was done, I was like, oh, I figured it (laughs) out, I'm like, done, and then I would reread it, and be like, oh, I'm not done, I gotta change all these things, yeah,
0: which is interesting, because by
2: the final draft, it's
0: very in a in a really good way. It's very f- fast paced, yeah, um, and it's definitely a page turner. So it doesn't you don't feel any of, of the work. Oh, no, that's nice to hear. Yeah, I'm a big fan of plot. I, yeah, I like plot. Plot's important, yeah.
2: and it's hard. I actually have to. One of the things I have to practice as a writer, I think, is slowing down a little more, because mm. I I get so into plot that I think it's easy to kind of forget. And so, with, particularly with a new project, I've been, like, letting myself, like, okay, let's go ahead and spend, like, 300 words describing this tree. And then it'll probably get edited back out, but I think it's an interesting exercise for me, because I tend to have this, like, get to the point, get to the point. Like, almost to a fault, like, I think I need to slow down a little bit. That's my so hope for the next book, is that it slows down just a little bit. Not too much. <laughs> what else?
0: Any <laughs> questions?
2: Maybe me one more. Not to cut everyone off, but I'm so excited you guys are here. Thank you for coming. <laughs> yeah, it means um, a lot to me. And if you haven't had a chance to
0: read April's book, it's wonderful. I highly recommend it. Thank you. Um, and Yeah. Any? Let's maybe end with one more fun ostrich fact. One more random
2: ostrich fact. Um, oh, when they're uh, when they're stressed out, when they're when something like. An feel threatened they make this noise it goes (laughs) and their necks swell up like this (laughs) it's very weird (laughs) both the males and the females uh yeah yeah and that wasn't an earlier draft but it got cut but it's a very weird thing they seem like very emotional birds they kind of are oh and oh i actually just learned that um Scientific American had an article that bird brains are actually—they've discovered—are wired differently than mammalian brains, and when you remove the mammalian bias, that they're actually not as dumb as we thought they were. That the birds may actually be pretty smart. So the whole like bird brain thing may just be our mammalian bias. Interesting. They're actually not so dumb. Yeah. I also—I
0: only read like the headline of it, but when I bef- when I was looking up ostrich stuff before tonight, uh, there was an article about how it's one of the greenest. Meats. Oh, well, that makes sense. Um, yeah. So maybe it'll have a comeback. Maybe. <laughs> Spread the word. I guess if it's between that and bugs, gaming. Yeah, it good point. Did you have one?
2: Yeah. Sebastian jumped out of his chair when we went to see that movie. He's like, Mom, there's ostriches! Because <laughs> there's a scene where these ostriches, like, flood over the hillside. Yeah, yeah, that's true. But it's it be pretty, pretty, strong ostriches to kill the rock. Yeah, you no, you can't <laughs> kill or the, the rock. force of that's yeah. why I love those movies. The, <laughs> the rock is like my favorite, it's indestructible. <laughs> uh, if you haven't seen the Jumanji movies, they're actually totally worth watching. They're really funny. Yeah. And on that note. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. All right. Great. Well, thank you all for coming. Thank you.